0: Welcome to the Free Speech Nation podcast with me, Andrew Doyle. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome my guest, Jason Miller. Uh, Jason is the CEO of the new social media platform, Getter, uh, and he was also a senior advisor on the Trump 2020 campaign. Uh, In this conversation, we spoke about all sorts of things. We spoke about his new platform, Getter. We spoke about the relationship between social media and the government. We spoke about free speech and also touched on Donald Trump and whether he'll run again and to what degree social media will play a role in that I'm sure you can guess the answer anyway I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did thank you very much for joining me today Jason really appreciate it thanks for having me so let's start with a little bit about you Uh, I think a lot of the people listening to the podcast will be interested in your background and how you got to where you are today perhaps you could uh, fill us in on that
1: Absolutely. Well, long background in campaign politics in the United States. Uh, Probably most memorably in 2016, I was the lead spokesperson as well as the senior communications advisor for uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, This was, of course, in his first campaign and worked for the president, helped him score the historic win. Did not go into the White House, went into private business consulting and also was a political commentator uh, on CNN, among other places and then was brought back to be the senior advisor for President Trump's 2020 run, and then stayed with him in the following, uh, when he left the presidency and uh, helped to run his impeachment defense effort the second go around, they tried to impeach him twice, And then in July of this year, uh, I formally launched Getter, uh, which has become the fastest growing social media platform in history. We're now up over 3 million users just since July. Fastest ever to 1 million, fastest ever to 2 million, fastest ever to 3 million, so it's pretty exciting.
0: So in terms of setting up a social media platform like this, given your background, Is there? Do people accuse you of of setting up something which is specifically politically partisan? Is that something that is an inevitable accusation that's going to come through?
1: Well, people are always going to go and uh, raise questions about uh, what angle you're coming from or is there a particular bias. Uh, I don't hide for uh, any uh, second uh, that I'm a conservative Republican, that I'm a Trump supporter. But I think it's important that we have a free speech platform that's available to everybody. Uh, Initially, a lot of the passion in the free speech movement is in the center right space but that's not historically where much of the free speech passion has been so as we start to see with even with uh, Mr Agarwal the new Twitter CEO I think there'll be new restrictions uh, more censorship uh, with big tech, not again, not even just with Twitter, but with Facebook, uh, Instagram, all sorts of other platforms. I think you're going to start to see more and more people look for a free speech alternative. And one of the exciting things, I think one of the most um, uh, dynamic things about the Getter platform this early on is the fact that only about 37% of the customer base is from the United States. We've really grown globally. Mm-hmm. And so, just in the same way that people in uh, the UK, for example, don't wake up and say, are are we Republicans or are we Democrats? Uh, People in Brazil don't wake up and say, are we Tories or are we labor? People have different perspectives from all around the world. Uh, In fact, our top three countries uh, by user growth are the United States, Brazil, and Japan. uh, A lot of diversity there. And I'm really proud of some of the, uh, what I would say is not traditionally political folks who've joined our platform, such as Boston Celtic Center, Enos Cantor Freedom, um, who's made a lot of noise criticizing President Xi, President Erdogan, even LeBron James, uh, Gina Carano, uh, the actress from The Mandalorian. We have several UFC fighters, uh, former New York Mets uh, and Phillies all-star, Lady Dykstra. So a lot of exciting people who aren't, don't necessarily come from the world of politics, but believe in free speech.
0: I think you raise a number of interesting points there. Uh, in particular, when you talk about this idea that the uh, the centre right seems to be the the space where uh, people are calling for more free speech. Now, when I was a, a young person, uh, it was very much more voices from the left that were, were calling for that. Now it seems that voices from the left are more hostile uh, to to free speech. So when uh, a new platform emerges, um, it's it's inevitably tarred and labelled as one thing or the other. How do you think we've got to this point where free speech as a Concept has it can be so readily dismissed as a right wing talking point as I see that all the time.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a really good observation. I think a lot of it is just simply that the the traditional structure, whether that be big tech, whether that be the mainstream media, whether it be some of the. Uh, the global elite, uh, to speak in a very general phrase, have been unable to control the political forces they've seen around them. And again, not, not just exclusive to the United States. Uh, look at Brexit, for example, the way that snuck up and surprised many in the UK media, many of the elites in the in mm. UK who obviously were very upset with that outcome. Uh, take a look at the way that President Bolsonaro won in Brazil. He certainly snuck up on uh, the elites and big tech and big media. And of course, President Trump. Really, President Trump's superpower uh, not just in 2016, even going into 2020, but it was greatly inhibited in 2020. He's always, his superpower has always been able to bypass the mainstream media. Uh, to mm. go and talk directly to people without that filter uh, that he's, uh, that typically a politician would have to go through. He snuck up on people in 2016, but they were ready for him, and he didn't sneak up on them in 2020. They changed the rules of the game in the middle of it. They started to censor and shadow ban, and ultimately, after January 6th, deplatforming President Trump altogether. And I think that much of it, uh, you could say, has been a a TDS, a a Trump derangement syndrome, where it's continued to uh, push people into respective corners, but not exclusively, as we've seen from a number of countries around the world. But taking a step back for a moment, I think this is really concerning, this broader trend of... Uh, the polarization and uh, big tech and, and big media saying uh, we're going to give you your free speech rights, but only if we agree with what you're saying. Uh, I think that's the wrong direction to go. I think everybody needs free speech. Uh, in fact, one of the big efforts we're making a push with are try to get the uh, say the Bernie Sanders type supporters. People are a little more left of center, uh, who, but are also a little more distrustful of the government to do believe in that inherent right. And I think that as a democracy, or democracies obviously the US and UK and Brazil and Japan, uh, other countries being separate, it really hinges on that ability for self-expression in political thought. And as soon as we lose that, we become a totalitarian state.
0: So your uh, view with Getter is very much that you're not going to emulate what Twitter does, but from a right-wing perspective, because Twitter, of course, as you, as you point out, firstly, I mean, deplatforming the uh, the, the president is, is quite an astonishing. Uh, thing for a, com- a company to do and obviously partisan uh but then in addition to that you've got them uh hiding the uh the new york post article on hunter biden and, and preventing people from sharing so into what we might call political or electoral intervention going on there w- w- so you would say that with getter you're not going to do that against leftists that's not the way you're going to run this
1: no not at all in fact i'll frequently repost people uh, uh saying less than favorable things about me just to show that hey we allow, we allow <laughs> democrats and uh, people on here i'll usually make a snide comment such as uh, i think i found hunter biden's burner account or hillary is this you uh, but uh, no but we're not going to do that as long as you uh play within the boundaries obviously we don't allow people suggesting Uh, uh, unlawful activities or people threatening bodily harm just in the same way that you you can't walk into a pub and threaten someone physically and not expect there to be a repercussion you can't go and threaten someone physically on the getter platform and we're not going to put up with any racial or religious epithets I don't think that's political free speech I think that's going into a, a different road but when it comes to your right to express yourself politically even even if I am at the polar opposite of what I think and if, or, or other people on the team and we think you're absolutely crazy and that's not the direction that we believe in, you're expressing your political thought. You're welcome to come and do it here. And in fact, we invite you. All that we ask is that if you support free speech and you oppose cancel culture, we think you would be a perfect fit for Getter.
0: And you will find, I think, that there will be lots of people from the left who are joining you in that. I mean, around the time of the the Trump's election, I remember I was contacted by a number of Bernie Sanders supporters who had actually voted Trump ultimately. And I think it's tied to these culture wars is that people find themselves politically homeless. We've had the same in the UK. The last election saw a landslide for the Conservative government and you saw traditional Labour left wing voters uh voting for the other side which is a massive massive shift and one of the reasons is they, they they feel like the left has abandoned them that it's not really authentically left-wing anymore i mean you mentioned brexit well the idea that the left suddenly comes out in in force in favor of the eu a massive pro-corporate trading block that has capitalism built into its constitution they, they, it feels actually incoherent to be an eu supporter as a traditional left-wing person so this leaves people completely uh, alienated. I mean, is it is it maybe the case that because of the culture war, because of these free speech issues that you're addressing, actually left and right doesn't really mean anything anymore?
1: Yeah, and you're starting to, I think the whole traditional definition of left and right has changed. I think whether it be in the, the UK uh, or in the US, I don't want to speak uh, more broadly around the world, Uh, But it's very much that, uh, ironically, uh, you can make the case that the the Tories or the Conservatives uh, are more in favor of the working class people than uh, the party that's named the Labour Party. Uh, Same thing in the United States, where the parties have really realigned uh, to where the Republicans are really the party of the working class. Democrats are the party uh, that, with the exception of specific, say, uh, uh, racial or... um, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, racial or gender or some different uh, identification politics that are carved out, it's largely the party of the uh, ivory tower, uh, um, college-educated, global um, elite-type class. And so it's really, it's it's rearranged, it's changed a lot. I think a lot of that has to do uh, domestically with President Trump and obviously, as we saw with Brexit, those are kind of the the changing winds globally,
0: can i ask you specifically about setting up getter and um and the problems that you might face and i i'm thinking specifically here about Parler, for instance and the way in which when once Parler was set up as an alternative to twitter the major social media tech giants collaborated as far as i can see um to uh, eliminate it to prevent it from uh, succeeding uh, do you sense that you will have any kind of difficulties of those kinds as getter continues to grow
1: Great question. I think that the approach that we've taken has been much different. We've had a robust and proactive moderation policy since day one. And I do get heat from that from some folks saying, well, wait a minute. Um, How can you have a robust and proactive moderation policy and still be the free speech platform? And that's simple because you do have to have some boundaries, some standards. You can't have people being doxed. Uh, You can't have people... Um, uh, putting out and in th- in threatening individuals or suggesting illegal activity or sedition or things like that. The problem with Parler is that they had zero moderation, and there's a difference. The When you talk with some of the big tech partners or people that you might have to work with in some capacity, as long as you have a moderation platform and you're proactively addressing things and you do have terms of service that are abided by we use both an AI system and also human moderators, so it's a two-prong approach to go and deal with it. Um, then you can work well together. They might not like your political backing, but the fact of the matter is that we do moderate the platform. Parler's problem is they literally had no moderation. They had what they call a a community approach. Here's the problem. When you become a successful free speech platform, you get attacked by the CCP, you get attacked by ISIS, you get attacked by the Russians, you get attacked by uh, left-wing bots and trolls. There are people who flood your platform or attempt to flood your platform with so much material simply to go and try to say, well, look at all this bad material that's on the platform. You need a bigger set of hands to help than just the quote unquote community standards or community policing. It, that's just that's not enough of a defense.
0: That's really interesting, because I think when Gab uh, originated as well. And of course, this was not set up as a uh, whatever you want, far right platform. But of course, because they had a complete um free speech policy, inevitably, far right accounts that wouldn't have been acceptable on Twitter migrated there. And then of course, the left wing activists and publications could point at it and say, Look, look at these accounts, this means it's a far right platform. So you're trying to find a way to avoid that kind of scenario whilst upholding free speech it's quite a difficult balance though isn't it because i mean some people would come back and say well if you're moderating it it's always open to uh, exploitation in the future it's always possible that your moderators uh, might allow their political bias to come into the process and and whenever that happens of course that might ru- run the risk of discrediting the principles of the site is that something you're ever concerned about
1: oh, of course <coughs> excuse me of course and that's something we pay very close attention to all moderators uh, who joined the team I have to go through pretty extensive training we also do extensive background checks um, and i think also uh, leadership starts from the top down and you can see how active i am in engaging with getter users um, on a, a very frequent basis i think the customer base The platform people know that I'm actively engaged and so I see what's happening on the platform. Mm -hmm. And users will flag if they think that something was unfairly tagged or they want a better explanation. That's something that I personally will go and, and address with our customer support team, as well as our moderation teams to make sure that's happening, but again, what people want, people uh, who are being uh, sent off to Twitter jail or put in digital jail with Facebook and things like that, it's not because they're they're trafficking in illegal activity. It's not because they're uh, they're going in and saying that they want to cause sedition or they want to uh, they're hurling uh, racist or religious epithets or those types of things. The people who are being sentenced to digital jail, uh, predominantly, are people who are expressing their political opinions. That's Mm. what we're always going to make sure that we defend here at Getter. So, for example, when we saw the recent warning labels starting to pop up with Google and YouTube around climate change, there are a lot of people who have varying opinions on climate change. I don't think that the science has decided anything completely. Uh, definitive. I think there are a lot, lots of room for interpretation on things, but that should be a debate that is had. I think with regard to COVID, uh, keep in mind people were sentenced to digital jail for saying things as outrageous as the lab originated from, or excuse me, the virus originated from a lab in Wuhan. Well, spoiler alert, that effectively became true. Um, even as we saw big tech go and put the claim down so you can't share or say anything about Hunter Biden's laptop as you referenced earlier. And guess what? That was not Russian disinformation. That was completely true. And so there has to be room for debate. There has to be room for political opinions to be shared. That's where the hunger is and I think that's the mark I think a lot of these these folks have missed is that uh, this isn't some uh, this isn't about uh, half nude pictures of Madonna uh, which by the way I think we can probably agree I have not seen them just to be clear for anyone uh, who's watching I've not seen I don't want to see Madonna half nude fully nude I don't want to see Madonna at all But this is not about Madonna having some part of her body exposed or not exposed and what's appropriate. This is about people determining their own self-destiny, their self-expression, their political beliefs in a very turbulent time in society.
0: So there are gray areas within all of this uh, kind of thing. I mean, so let's take the example of of co i mean you mentioned the idea that the the wuhan uh, lab leak theory which now of course even the biden administration are, are looking into and, and and are suggesting might be the case uh, but at one point Accounts were being banned for for making that suggestion. They were, they were being dismissed as racist, all the rest of it. And similarly, um, with any kind of people questioning uh, the consensus around COVID, and of course that is something. It's a new virus. that various uh, experts disagree on this. And you, as a social media platform, of course, I suppose it's not really your job to 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 become experts in epidemiology and to determine what information is allowed and what information is not allowed. But then to take it to even further extremes, when people are wrong about history. For instance, when people deny the Holocaust, when people do that kind of, of thing, do they have the right to do that?
1: Well, again, it's tough to do in a, a generalization type way. You have to see the post by post. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, we do have pretty definitive terms of service. So going to your first example there with regard to uh, there are a lot of people who talk about different theories on how best to treat COVID. Uh, I know, obviously, there it's not just people or your traditional uh Folks viewed as right wing. Take a look at Joe Rogan, uh, who obviously, uh, when talking to uh, Ivor Mechtin, as far as uh, uh, something that he took after contracting COVID, there are different debates and theories about what best works with regard to COVID. And by the way, I'm old enough to remember that uh, once you, we were told if you get vaccinated then you're going to be fine you're gonna never have to worry about this now we're seeing even the news out of the uk this morning with a hundred million more doses uh, being ordered and people saying get your fourth jab uh, the, we might have to yep. uh, we might have to uh, you know get a, a double-sided um, uh, double-sided uh, stamp card to go and show all the uh, the jabs that people have gotten uh, on the trend that this is going but there should be some room for debate we do have specific policies regarding self-harm so say for example if somebody were to post um, uh, something that's just, uh, the, the smartest thing to somewhere to post, the smartest thing to do, uh, if you contract COVID is go and cut off your arm. Uh, okay. Obviously that is something that's pretty clearly suggesting self harm. Um, and obviously we're going to take a look at those on a case by case basis. Uh, but also even when you talk about historical things, I think there's, um, uh, don't want to go into any specific details because obviously you got to see the, uh, what the post might look like, but, uh, there's a difference between somebody being wrong, Uh, Or somebody being harmful or hateful um, as it pertains to trying to throw a a religious or uh, racial epithet. So we've got to see it on a a case by case basis. Uh, But people are going to get uh, takes wrong. Uh, People are going to be somewhat inaccurate with their details. That's not our job to come in and and police. Oh, actually, it was uh, this percentage of a change versus that percentage of change when it comes to a climate change debate or something of that nature. Uh, But we are going to, our goal is to make sure that. Uh, that we have hands off as much as possible but when it gets into a <clears throat> violation of our terms of service we'll take action
0: well the re- the reason i mentioned the holocaust denial example is because it's an extreme example and 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 you know when people make these claims often obviously it is informed inform- by a deep-seated prejudice or uh, a, a, an anti-semitic perspective but what i what i think is that for instance if you take the historian david irving who who uh whose facts and figures did not add up and the best way that he was um his his views were discredited were by other historians in other words people engaging with what he said exposing uh how it was wrong uh rather than locking him up in a prison uh which is what actually happened which then of course gave him a kind of martyr status and people started thinking well maybe there's something in it so i you know my view on this is even if it's a deplorable uh repugnant um a misrepresentation of history for for personal discriminatory reasons perhaps the best way to expose that is to allow them to say it but then critique ridicule whatever that that's my view on that do you think that's that's right or are there limits
1: so uh, i think i think there i'd take a little bit different perspective i think that there are limits i think that where you have to watch it closely and why it's tough to do just a, necessarily a, i'd have to see a particular post uh of, of course the uh, the holocaust happened is one of the most horrific things uh that's happened in human civilization uh, and it's something that we should educate and make sure that 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 never happens and that's never um, allowed to to be forgotten uh, that's why we always see the, the hashtag never forget Um, Mm. uh, Many people referencing back to that, I think we have to make sure that we stay vigilant to that cause. Uh, But I think that also, just in in broader terms, you got to see on a post-by-post basis. I personally have never seen anything of the sort on Getter. Uh, I imagine you might have to go to Gab or some of the other platforms to to see a little bit more um, of that. But I've never seen anything of the sort on Getter. Obviously, something gets into an anti-Semitic um type uh type trope uh then that's something that would be removed from the platform uh but again there's a difference between somebody getting something wrong and being um uh hurtful and harmful and anti-semitic and so i'd have to see on a, a post-by-post basis mm. uh but d- just just to be clear the um uh the holocaust uh, absolutely did happen it's terrible
0: yes I, I mean i don't think any sane adult would disagree with <laughs> with that point of view um But then what about the question of abuse online? So for instance, when I'm on Twitter or someone, I get abuse every day uh, from strangers who don't know me. Um, My view is I don't want them banned from the platform. I want to, as a user, take matters into my own hands and just block them. I want to have that power to decide who I listen to. That's part of my freedom as as well. And um, I would be a bit nervous actually, and I don't like it when Twitter uh, nukes those accounts that have been uh, abusive towards me, because i i think they are entitled to do that under their free speech rights but i'm not in, i'm under no obligation to listen and so that's what the block feature does ironically i think the block feature on twitter is is the the, the feature that is meant to preserve free speech and free expression actually does that make sense?
1: Uh, it does. Uh, I do think that when, again, there is a difference between somebody saying uh, you're an idiot uh, or you're wrong. Uh, hey, I even get it sometimes on my own platform. So uh, uh, I get it a lot on Twitter, a little bit less on getter, but I get a lot on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a difference between saying you're an idiot or you're wrong, uh, that type of thing, versus saying I'm going to come over to your house and hurt you. Uh, and there's right. uh, everything in between is everything in between, and that's where it has to be looked at, and that's why it's tough to do really kind of the the overgeneralization because the abuse uh, different people uh, different people could uh, interpret abuse in different ways. Uh, some people, if they're uh, very much a snowflake, could say um, any criticism in the slightest bit is abuse, and certainly I see that on Twitter all the time, mm, usually yeah. with people who are big in the identity politics, um, like oh my gosh, you uh, criticize me in some way, I'm going to scream bloody murder and say that this is clearly Uh, You know, uh, something that's you know based on on race or religion or um, you know uh, gender identification or something of that nature. Um, But it might simply be somebody saying that they disagree with them. But if it's it's when when I look at abuse, it's is this something where they're specifically trying to uh, generate harm to somebody? Um, And I think that's that's different from just a a disagreement online. And so uh, we watch that. We do track that. Um, if somebody feels that they're being abused, they can certainly report it. We also have users who can report that as well. And we take a look at those on a case by case basis.
0: And uh, can I ask another question about the details of this in terms of uh, satire and parody? And, you know, I mean, I have a personal interest in this, of course, because I have a, a satire, a satirical persona account on on Twitter. Um, and there are often overtures to suggest that those sorts of accounts, anonymous accounts, uh, should be banned, should be removed Um but of course uh, there's a lot of mileage in in satire and 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 creating these these false personas that can expose things in society that that that, that people perceive to be wrong uh, but they're also often open to misinterpretation because of course if you have a satirical account um it might be sp- saying misinformation fake fake things but it, because it's mocking uh, the kind of people who do that, right? So it takes it. It takes a sort of level beyond just reading it at face value. You need to understand what the what the writer is doing there. Will there be any room for that kind of thing on your platform? Will Will those distinctions be made?
1: Well, of course, there's there's room for satire, and where that issue most frequently comes up. So, for example, um, remember in the early days of Twitter. There were always the not somebody accounts. Um, yeah. You know, the the you know not Boris Johnson, not Donald Trump, and people do the opposite. Uh, you can there for sure. There's uh, room for for parody and things like that. You just need to clearly label that it's a parody or satire account. Um, so, for example, if somebody were to get on there and say, uh, "I am Donald Trump," uh, or "I am Nigel Farage," or uh, "I am Pretty Patel," or something of that nature, and you're falsely identifying yourself uh, as that person, then that would not be permitted. Uh, if you were to get on there and, and essentially uh, say that you're not Pretty Patel or not Boris Johnson or not Nigel Farage uh, and it was a satire account then of course that would be permitted uh, and so I do think that uh, it, even as you look through the uh, the satire I think that we're, we have pretty sophisticated moderators and they're able to go through that uh, and again there's but there's a Big difference between satire and parody, or uh, identity theft or identity impersonation. Yeah, um, and I think that we, as long as the distinctions are clearly made for who's um, kind of you know what's behind it, but again, they can be uh, anonymous accounts in the fact that you don't have to go put your name on it. I think there need to, needs to be room for uh, some of that independent thought. But again, the only place we're we'll really kind of come in draw the line is when you're pretending to be somebody that you're not, and I think that gets into a little bit dangerous. That gets into uh, ad- identity theft by another name. And so we do safeguard for that.
0: What if you're inventing a character who doesn't exist? There's not a parody. You're not parodying any particular person. You're inventing a whole new I- individual or does that cross the line into uh, I- into issues with anonymity?
1: No, uh, you can go and, and create, uh, obviously we have certain, <clears throat> we have certain uh, KYC, know your customer dynamics. Um, so we know that when you sign up, uh, either you have your account then you either have an email or a cell phone number uh, so you know how to contact you or get in touch or uh, follow up on different things. but uh, if you want to create an anonymous account that's certainly your right to do so as long as you' abide by the terms of service
0: so that it's interesting that you you continually come back to the terms of service because I think this is one area where Twitter in particular has failed spectacularly insofar as the terms of service are very, very vague, uh, open to endless reinterpretation, and they keep changing. And often when people have their accounts uh, banned on Twitter, there is no appeals process. So I've been suspended from Twitter before. And it's a very frustrating process, because you contact them, and you get an automated response, simply reiterating the original point, which is, you've broken the terms of service. And when you say, what have I done? Why give me an example, they come back with another email saying you've broken the terms of service that it's, it's Kafkaesque. In other words, you've committed a crime, but they won't tell you what the crime is. Um, and this is something that happens again and again. And often people do speculate, myself included, that the terms of service are deliberately vague in order to justify them deplatforming uh, de- people they just don't happen to agree with because they can just choose arbitrarily. Do you have a more, more clarity in your terms in terms of what's acceptable and what's not?
1: Uh, yes we, uh, we do have uh, uh essentially a dozen or so points uh, that're very specific to what's allowed what's not allowed uh, with regard um, uh, within those uh, terms of service so i do think that it is pretty clear i think in some of the uh, the overall terms of service a lot of times that's uh, say for liability uh, purposes, uh, even though there's Section 230 here in the U.S., I think that a lot of times they're I mean, they're written by lawyers, right? And so they're uh, they're done in a way to make sure that it protects the platform and it protects the the people running it and the investors and such. Um, but with the uh, what we try to do here, and we do have an appeals process. Um, I will admit that it's still evolving. Uh, it's still not quite as good as it should be. Uh, we're continually striving to make sure that we have better communication with people, so they know. I think that's you're right that it's rather infuriating uh, for people to uh, uh, say if they were to get suspended or something of that nature and not have a clear uh, uh, knowing of why that happened. Uh, I don't think that that's uh, that's right and so we're working to uh, continually improve that from our end, uh, but I think we're getting better.
0: Because one of the groups that are continually uh, kicked off Twitter are what you'd call gender critical feminists, uh, traditionally very left wing uh, feminist people who uh, make the, who say openly online, well, uh, no human being has ever changed sex. Uh, They will say uh, there is such thing as biological sex differences. Uh, These are not just opinions, but scientific facts. Uh, But they will be um, deplatformed for that. Um, So do you have any policy on that area? Because that's going to be somewhere, I think, where a lot of people are getting very nervous about um, social media intervention and social media platforms attempting to propagate an untruth and to prevent people from speaking the truth.
1: Well, I think that, uh, or I would say that, especially with the the large component of the customer base at the moment being center-right, we'll see some commentary of people saying that you're either born a man or you're born a woman. Um, Obviously, you can have your very clear opinions on uh, gender identification and and such, uh, but there's a difference between that and, say, somebody uh, coming in and uh, using uh, slurs, uh, to uh, attack people who, ha- who are transgender, uh, for example. And I think that's where we would draw the line uh, and say that yes. it's inappropriate and so uh, people are going to clearly have their their beliefs I mean I personally think that you're born a man or a woman and that's what you <laughs> that, that that's what you are um, I've realized that there are other people out there disagree with that and so obviously we can have that debate all day long but when you get in and start throwing um, uh, slurs uh, at people and then it becomes more of a, uh, a harmful uninviting environment uh, then I think that that's uh, that's inappropriate
0: Yeah. And I don't think anyone would have an objection to social media platforms if they clearly state once you start throwing slurs at people, once you once you start being abusive or harassing people, this platform's not for you. We don't accept that. If it's clearly stated, then, you know, that's not a free speech issue because you've signed up to a contract, etc. But with with groups like Twitter who claim to be about free speech and they routinely ban accounts that are not in any way abusive, but are merely stating these scientific facts. Uh, So uh, and certainly not being abusive to transgender people at all, but they'll still kick them off, you know,
1: and and that's something we're uh, just to go in here that regardless of which side of that uh, debate um, that you're on, I think our goal when we when we look at it, the lens that we always think kind of the golden rule, the the message that's taped above the door, so to speak, is are we allowing people to express themselves politically? Are we Mm. uh, do we stand for free speech? Are we opposing cancel culture? And so we're always thinking through that lens, is this someone's political opinion? Is this somebody's strongly held uh, religious belief? Then they should be able to share and communicate as much as they want. Uh, But again, uh, I don't know anywhere, in whether it be uh, the Bible uh, or the Torah or the uh, Quran or any uh, religious text that's out there uh, that gets into, uh, say, uh, slurs uh, or into, uh, say, uh, more personal attacks, um, I think there's a, uh, I think there's a, a big difference,
0: but I suppose some people could interpret, uh, strong religious beliefs where for instance, you say, well, uh, my, my faith is the only right one and everyone else is condemned to hell. Some people would say that's quite abusive, uh, the Westboro baptist church for instance would say that anyone who isn't part of their group is condemned to hell is a sinner uh, and that would be interpreted as abusive i mean my my view on groups like that is as long as they're not infringing on my liberties as long as they're not physically attacking me as long as they're not uh, you know breaking the law then they're free to rant and rave and say whatever crazy things they they want but would you would you say that there is a case that a group as extreme as that uh, simply by expressing their faith and i do believe they believe it uh, is a is a form of abuse. Well, again, I think you hit the nail on the head,
1: especially in the US, but in most Western cultures, your free speech rights extend right up to the point where you start to uh, infringe on somebody else's. And so as long as what you're stating, what your beliefs are, are not uh, invoking some aspect of harm or physical threats, Um, or or doxing, or slurs, or something of that nature to somebody. As long as it's not harming them, then you can have your opinion. Uh, I might disagree with it, other people might disagree with it, but that's kind of the whole point. Uh, The point of something like Getter isn't to have a bunch of commonality uh, of political thought, it's about to foster these ideas. And so we're gonna have people from the right, we're gonna have people from the left, we're gonna have people who are on uh, Getter, on this platform, they're debating back and forth, but you have to have this marketplace of ideas. And I know that's something that's really been trampled on over the past decade, as you referenced just a little bit earlier, but we have to have that digital town square because it's very clear, especially with uh, Mr. Agarwal taking over at Twitter, they've already started to make their certain moves. Uh, to become even more restrictive, Uh, it's Mm. clear that uh, those are no longer free speech platforms. And you can make the case if they ever truly were. uh, But now they've become, uh, they're like Skynet and Terminator. They've now become fully awakened uh, and their mission is to go and snuff out anyone who disagrees with them. At Getter, we have a different approach. We want people from all backgrounds and all persuasions to join our platform. And again, your free speech extends right up to the point where it starts to infringe on somebody else's uh, safety or well-being, and as long as you're not getting to that point, then you should be able to have your free speech.
0: I think I think you're absolutely right about that. The trouble is that, that other groups and and social media groups and activist groups have redefined what it means to be safe, and they will say that difference of opinion makes them unsafe, and they will use the language of health and safety to justify uh, deleting accounts. They will say that uh, by making that point, you are if you are erasing our existence, you are you know they will use this histrionic language. And a lot of this cultural stuff from my from my perspective is a game of language it's, it's it's just word play and actually we perhaps have to restore what it means to be unsafe if someone is posting my private uh, home d- address online and and calling for people to come around and attack me that clearly is a threat to my safety someone uh throwing slurs at me online which i can just block and ignore that's not making me unsafe you know that's the difference i think do you take into account this idea of psychological harm
1: Well, we do again. Going back to the point I said about supporting free speech and opposing cancel culture, and I think that there's Mm. when we—that's the other lens we look through uh, when uh, with these definitions—is is is this simply cancel culture by a different name? And so, uh, yes, you do have some of the, uh, as I affectionately refer to them, as the snowflakes or the super sensitive types, um, who would like to cancel any uh, disparate thought uh, that's out there. And so, you know, this really goes to the fact of why you need to have your terms of service, you need to have your, your policy that's laid out, but you also need to have a community of people who go through and look and are continually revisiting certain things. I'll give you an example. Um, uh, after the, the terrorist attack outside of the Air Force Base um, in, uh, in Kabul, uh, when there were the, uh, the Americans who were killed as well, the 13 Americans as well as I believe there are uh, nearly 200 um, Afghans uh, who were killed in that, uh, that terrible bombing, uh, we had a decision to make because there was some video that was posted of effectively real-time deaths um, yep. uh, that were on video, and we came together and decided that again, this is a tough decision that. Uh, the actual act uh, of somebody taking someone's life is not something that would be permitted uh, on Getter, uh, but as we show the uh, the wreckage and the carnage of what uh, a terrorist attack or other things would look like, that people have to be able to share that and show that uh, to show here is literally what happened. And so uh, we will continually make decisions. We're not gonna get it right every single time, uh, but we're gonna do our best to maintain, can you express yourself politically? Are you not harming somebody? And again, since we look, <clears throat> look at it through the lens of support-free speech in a post-cancel culture, that is different from, I think, some of the uh, sensitivity Nellies um, uh, who run around and say, oh, you, uh, you, know, you offended me, um, you, you must go and remove that.
0: So uh, given the extent to which uh, Getter is growing so rapidly, it it would suggest that there is a real appetite for this kind of platform where you don't have this paternalism of someone sort of deciding what's best for you to read. Um, And do you think that companies like Twitter, I mean, you mentioned their new policies that you think it's going to become even more sensorial as it goes on. Uh, Do you think that, because at the moment, a lot of people fear that the 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 social media, the Silicon Valley oligopoly is sort of now set set in place and cannot be disrupted cannot be changed. Are you confident uh, that that we will be able to reopen the marketplace of ideas that other companies will emerge without being crushed by by these, uh, these companies?
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, you look at the fact, I think Facebook and Twitter are ultimately dying platforms. Um, and that's not just uh, the hyperbole of it. Look at Facebook's actions, for example. They're changing the name of their company. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't get much more direct than that. I mean, if you're changing the name of your company, then you know that's not winning. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg recently said that uh, Facebook is going to lose 45% uh, of their uh, teenage users within the next two years because it's essentially viewed as being an old person's platform. Twitters yep. continue to see their stock price drop obviously with Jack Dorsey now stepping aside I think he was just tired of being the punching bag over and over uh, they're going to continue to see people leave as the new CEO uh, continues to put in new restrictions. I think that over this past year you know our market research has shown that upwards of 20 to 25 percent of Trump supporters actually left social media after he was deplatformed. They just decided that they didn't want to be a, a participant in this, this rigged system um, mm. and be uh, subject to so much left-wing hate. A lot of those people are now coming off the sidelines. I don't think that all the power should be consolidated just with several big tech oligarchs in Silicon Valley. We do have a lot more diversity of thought. I think we need more platforms. I think there's room for additional platforms, and that's part of the reason why we're growing so much.
0: So, so you are optimistic, ultimately, that this will will happen I think it's just because of the extent of the power that Silicon Valley seems to wield at the moment that it just it just feels impossible. However, I mean, you raised a very interesting point about uh, how nakedly partisan they are now, Uh, there's no uh, effort at hiding it anymore. And I think really, uh, the turning point was obviously uh, deleting president trump's account because i don't think i think that disturbed a lot of people on the left as well i think it disturbed a lot of people who don't agree with trump you know he was the sitting president and this 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 decision was made and some of the justifications were so uh lame you know the the, the when he tweeted out that he he wouldn't be attending the inauguration twitter claimed that this was a dog whistle to say to his uh, more radical followers you can go and cause trouble at the inauguration because i won't be there i mean that is such a stretch I mean it absolutely I mean certainly Trump's tweets wouldn't uh come up to the Brandenburg test of incitement to hatred so uh I think that might be the would you think that that moment was really the turning point of Twitter's demise
1: Yeah, I think that's a really smart observation. Keep in mind it wasn't just Twitter. Obviously, Facebook kicked off President Trump. Uh, Google and YouTube uh, deplatformed him, obviously. Instagram, which is owned by uh, Facebook. Uh, All of the the social media accounts, Uh, even had the ones who President Trump was never on, uh, whether it be Snapchat or Grindr, things of that nature, (laughs) came out and said, hey, we're not going to allow you on here, which, you know, hey, guys, just let you know President Trump was never on your uh, your platforms in the first place. Uh, I always thought that was a little bit kind of funny. Um, but the fact of the matter is is that that was a big turning point in social media history because to actually deplatform a sitting president of the United States that really at that point they're operating in completely unbridled territory. Ever since then, the guardrails are completely gone. Uh, in fact, we saw Facebook uh, earlier this year say that they would be ramping up their uh, global quote unquote anti disinformation efforts. Um, in advance of elections that are coming up in the Philippines and Brazil and France and Hungary uh, and even the U.S. midterms. Just to be clear on this point, what they're saying is we're going to try to duplicate the same stuff we pulled off to beat President Trump and all these other countries where we're concerned that the candidate or, the, or that we don't like, uh, the right of center candidate, might win. And so be very clear... They're not scaling back. I get asked the question all the time, do you think these big tech companies will learn? Will they change? Will they realize their loss of market share, that they're losing people, that the stock price is dropping? Do you think that they'll, they'll recognize the error of their ways and come back? I said, no, they're just going to double and triple down because now they're so beholden to certain woke bases uh, to their stakeholders within their own environment yeah. that they can't even, uh, they've completely lost sight of what they originally started out to be.
0: But isn't there a point where they have to respond to the market insofar as I mean, to give an example, you know, and this is not a social media example, but I think it is comparable, is when um, Penguin Random House uh, in Canada had staff members revolt because they were publishing Jordan Peterson's new book, uh, and they were crying in the office and saying this is causing harm, actual harm to members of staff. Well, Penguin Random House are in no position to ditch Jordan Peterson because the publishing house probably wouldn't exist were it not for hit the sales from his uh, best-selling books. So, um, you know, at some point, don't they have to accept that they're losing so much money that actually, no, they're going to have to come back to this idea of free speech and, and and basic traditional liberal values? No, not at all. Because they're still making money. They certain of the companies might not be making as much
1: as they like, particularly Twitter, now which has never truly found a way to monetize and, and scale in the way that Facebook has. Um, but say for Facebook, for example, they already know that their platform, just the the nature of it, uh, is dying. Uh, people are moving away from um, uh, Facebook. It's just it's blocky, uh, it's boring. It uh, effectively at this point is really, I mean, they're they're just a big data company. They don't even really care about making the platform fun and and user friendly anymore. I mean, I kind of look at Facebook of here's where I go to see the relatives that um, I usually don't talk to. Uh, that's largely <laughs> what uh, what Facebook is. What's much more popular, and you even saw this in Zuckerberg's recent um, investor report, uh, it's everything is going to the short video uh, phase of things. So you look at uh, Instagram, in fact, they said that Instagram Reels uh, generated 60% of the online engagement uh, for their platform. And so even for us, we'll be launching G Vision, which will be our marketplace competitor to Instagram Reels. Facebook Stories, that's coming up right at the Chinese New Year, February 1st. Uh, there will be kind of a big celebration. We're going to be introducing our own short uh, video component. And then we're going to a place where none of these platforms have gone, where we will be launching Pay, 4th of July of next year, which will be the first ever uh, time that a social media platform has then expanded uh, to become not only uh, a payment system that uh, with Getter pay that will rival Apple Pay and Alipay and Samsung Pay and Google Pay but will have the crypto component both of their own. Um, uh, uh, coins uh, within our uh, within our own ecosystem. So we're going to a place where, again, where Facebook's never been able to get to, where Twitter's never been able to get to. And I think that's because people believe in what our platform is. There's a trust level that's there. They know that we're we actually, we're not just about uh, going in, making money and, and driving a left-wing ideology, that we actually will go and fight and defend the right for free speech.
0: Can I ask you a bit about the uh, relationship between social media and the government, um, because I felt that during Trump's presidency, he often uh, made overtures to the idea that he was going to clamp down on uh, the, the, the social media companies and the way in which they were violating their free speech obligations. But he never really did anything. And it got to the point towards the end where when they kicked him off the platform, part of me thought, well, you, you kind of asked for this because you, you never actually tackled the problem um, and let's take for instance the Communications Decency Act. Would there not be a case to be made that that could be revised in some way? I understand why it's there I understand that, that news outlets and online outlets can't be possibly held responsible for everything that is posted all those comments that are posted underneath they can't be held responsible if, if they don't remove a, a libelous comment for instance it would be impossible to moderate it, it, it it's, it's not feasible and that's what the, the section 230 is there to to, to to help, to protect but could it not be modified, reworded, so that it would mean that uh, they wouldn't be held responsible for illegal or libelous content that appears on their site, but nevertheless, they wouldn't therefore be able to use that as a as a justification to remove things for ideological purposes, just, just differences of opinion. Is, could that not be enacted in legis- legislation, or am I being naive?
1: No, absolutely. In fact, that's something that I've openly called for and said that we have to remove political discrimination from people who use Section 230 as a shield. So I do think the concept of Section 230 of making sure that if you're a platform where people can post um, various opinions and thoughts that you shouldn't be held liable or responsible. Obviously, there are always extreme examples. Say, for example, if you allowed a post uh, to stay up indefinitely that was, uh, say, that somebody was going to go and um, commit harm and that ended up happening we left it on despite repeated warnings and notifications that that was happening. I think there there are obviously certain cases where it could go to, Um, but with regard to Section 230... You should not be able to hide behind Section 230 and practice political discrimination, which that's exactly what Twitter and Facebook and these other guys are doing. And so you're absolutely right. That is the thing where if someone's actively participating in political discrimination, they shouldn't be able to use Section 230 as a shield. So I'm completely on the same page on that. It's something I've publicly advocated for and I will continue to do so. You made another interesting point with regard to President Trump and Uh, kind of the uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda, uh, the things that that needed to have been done. I'm always asked, as someone who's a senior advisor on his 2020 presidential run, what would you have done different uh, if you had the time machine and go back? And I always tell people I would have made sure that President Trump had his own social media platform developed and launched well in advance of the 2020 race yeah. that now uh, I, I will look, I will tell you I was one of those people who said they will never deplatform or kick off a sitting president <laughs> of the United States they no way the media would never even the 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 haters the MSDNCs <clears throat> the fake news CNNs they would never go and stand uh, the failing new york times they would never allow someone to deplatform a sitting president no matter what he uh, wrote or what they thought about his opinions that was wrong. That was naive. Obviously, that's what, uh, that's what happened. Uh, I, I th- wish that we had created a new social media platform in advance of the 2020 election. Two things can be true at the same time here. Um, Twitter and Facebook and some of these companies might have the legal right uh, to go and political discriminate, but they do not, uh, but they don't always necessarily have that right if we change two thirty, and they want to hide behind that. And so if they want to become a publisher, i.e. the the New York Times or uh, the Washington Post, where they're held uh, accountable for every word that appears on their pages, uh, they can certainly do that. They can be as uh, politically discriminating as they want to be. But if they want to be a platform, then we need to change 230 so they can't discriminate politically.
0: Do you think that uh, Trump will run again? And if he does, do you think he will be uh, dependent on platforms such as yours in order to get his message out there? Uh, so ultimately,
1: yes and yes. Uh, I do think President Trump runs again in 2024. Uh, I do think that uh, what we saw in 2020 uh, or was essentially what we didn't see. Uh, I think there were a lot of looking around corners and forecasting for how the uh, the rules of the game would be changed mid-game uh, to try to uh, impede his advances or impede his success. I think President Trump would be much more ready. Uh, in the next campaign. And I think he will need platforms such as Getter if he's going to be able to get his message out and bypass uh, the traditional media, because right now he does not have um, that social media
0: channel. But of course, if he were to go on to Getter uh, in advance of the next election, people would then say, oh, that's Trump's platform. And people would inevitably try to paint you as a fully partisan platform. Um I noticed on on Wikipedia I think it it describes getter as a conservative platform and what but but you've said that you're open to having left wing accounts on the on there, are you worried about this, or how would you deal with this situation? Yeah, deal with it when we deal with it. Obviously, I'd love to have President Trump on the platform, and uh, I've told
1: him that. I've reserved his at real Donald Trump handle for him, and uh, we even talked about it again a couple of weeks ago. Uh, even after he's made his own news, and uh, I told him that he's always welcome here. Uh, he's while well, he's waiting for his platform to be built or constructed, which uh, I think it's going to take a while for that to be done. He's welcome to come mm. join our platform, then go to his platform, for example. Uh, when that's up and running, Uh, but this is always going to be a platform uh, for people to express themselves politically. Uh, Look, I I would love to have Crooked Hillary uh, join the platform. I'd love to have, uh, where's, where's Hunter? Now, do I think they're going to right away? Probably not. Uh, but we have reserved the accounts for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi, uh, AOC, uh, so uh, Bernie Sanders. We'd love to have them join the platform. Uh, that's always going to be their ability. And even as we look around globally, uh, for example, I'd love to have uh, President Macron uh, join the platform. I'd love to have in France, I'd love to have Lula join the platform in Brazil. Uh, will they uh, right away? Uh, probably not. Uh, but again, we want to make sure that, that that's being offered to them and they know that they can join.
0: Can I ask you about your involvement with the with the Trump campaign and how, how did you get involved with that and what was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah, uh, so initially I became involved, i worked for Mayor Rudy Giuliani on his unsuccessful presidential run in 2008, uh, at which point I uh, became introduced to a lot of folks in, in New York and a lot of different people in uh, circles that overlapped with the Trump orbit. Uh, I'd actually talked with President Trump uh, in 2011 as he was thinking about running for president against um, uh, Barack Obama in his first re-election in 2012, and if President Trump had run in 2012, then I was going to be his campaign manager, uh, ended up kind of left that that experience thinking he wouldn't run. Uh, I kind of mm-hmm. thought maybe it's just a, uh, some talk and uh, conjecture to um, uh, juice up his apprentice contract. And so I signed up with Ted Cruz for the 2016 race, and then President Trump did run, and he did win. Um, And then after uh, Trump beat Cruz, uh, Indiana was our uh, essentially our Alamo for the Cruz campaign. Uh, Then Jared Kushner called me about a a month or six weeks after and said, uh, we want to get you on board. And we had a a good talk uh, four years ago uh, when um, his father-in-law was thinking about running. And so uh, uh, Jared and I have a lot of mutual friends. And so he brought me onto the team.
0: And what was that experience like, though? Because, I mean, I I can imagine it, it must have been quite uh actually quite fascinating to be involved in this in this campaign did you did you see where it was going ultimately I mean I could see very clearly that Biden's campaign appeared to be to stay in the shadows as much as possible and not to expose himself to media scrutiny did you did you get a sense that this was that the outcome was going to be what it ended up being
1: so 2016 and 2020 were completely different races in the 2016 I knew uh, once we got into uh, say into the the summer there um, that President Trump uh, would ultimately be the winner uh, against Hillary Clinton because she could never get above that forty four forty five percent threshold, and uh, that people wanted change. They saw her as being the wrong direction. If we could just steady the ship enough with President Trump, that he could pull off the win, which we did. And um, but I'd say that I, I learned a lot of things both from someone who had a, a longer background and. Communications and marketing. Uh, I really lot, learned a lot of new things from President Trump. A lot of it is about being concise and tight with your message, about being very punchy, about not being afraid to be uh, a little bit daring or even sometimes uh, borderline offensive to get your point across. Um, and uh, a lot of things I've been able to take into the corporate side as well because people are bombarded with so many images and so many different thoughts and things of that nature that if you can't punch through, if you can't stand out, uh, then you're never going to be recognized. For example, we <clears throat> will um, sometimes fly plane banners uh, above football games and things like that. And at first, it started off with the Twitter sucks, join getter, uh, rather catchy. Um, gets people attention and, and helps raise the name ID. And then we moved into Let's Go Brandon, join getter, uh, where we got a lot of play and, and attention here in the U.S. Uh, and, the, and by the way, the plane banners are cheap. They're like 2500 bucks. Um, to go and fly around for a couple hours and you get tens of thousands of eyeballs uh, that are on them. So doing different things that are creative, I learned a lot of that. 2020 was different. 2020 was, obviously, we had the election rules being changed. I came on, I came back into the team, so I stepped away for almost four years. Uh, I was still in regular contact with the president, active with his team, and uh, a, a frequent visitor at the White House and such, but I wasn't formally back inside um, the, uh, the campaign. But I came back right after the killing of George Floyd. And you saw this convergence of not just the fact the election rules are being changed you had covid you had the george floyd killing uh, which then moved into the black lives matter protests Things that were going on, and so really it was the kind of the the worst of all possible dynamics. It wasn't just the the perfect storm, you know, where you had the, as we saw from the uh, Mark Wahlberg movie. I mean, this was you know four different uh, storms that were converging at one place. Uh, I still believe that if the uh, voting rules had not been unconstitutionally changed, that President Trump would have been the winner. Uh, obviously, we're only talking forty-four thousand votes over three states. Uh, I do believe there was significant fraud and irregularities on the. Election Day and then the actual voting. I don't think there were enough specific fraud and irregularities uh, in the actual voting to have overturn it on its own. But when you take a look at the the unconstitutional changes, and just for folks in the UK, might not understand that. In our Constitution, it very clearly says the state legislatures uh, need to be the ones who set up the voting systems for each state. What we saw in the U.S. in the run-up to 2020 were a number of blue state Democratic, whether it be governors or county executives, uh, mayors, things of that nature, go and change voting rules to essentially send out ballots to people if they had, even if they hadn't requested them or if they didn't have the proper paperwork on file. And I do think that that juiced the numbers enough to where uh, that delivered the win. As we saw from the uh, Wisconsin State Supreme Court decision, the 4-3 decision that we lost, however, it made pretty clear that, yes, while President Trump was right in the merits of saying that these uh, uh, changes were made uh, in an unconstitutional fashion, that no court in the land was going to go and overturn an election or discount uh, votes that people believe they were casting legally, that, that that's just not a, a means of redress uh, that uh, any, any of the courts were ever going to grant. And so uh, that's a little bit longer an explanation than maybe you, you were looking for, but uh, I think that as we go into 2024, uh, we'll be much more ready.
0: No, I think it's important to outline those reasons because um, it's it, it's one of the main issues. I think. I think everyone accepts, and even I'm sure the Democrats would accept that there's always a degree of voter fraud when you have postal votes in any vote in any election. I don't think anyone would deny that. I think the question of whether it's enough to tip the balance uh, is the bigger question. Um, I mean, you've just acknowledged there that you don't think voter fraud alone. Uh, is, is sufficient to have, have tipped the balance. I suppose what I would what I would say is there's the question of strategy. There's the question of rhetoric. I mean, uh, President Trump was on GB News the other night and he was again using the phrase "rigged." The election was rigged um, after the uh, after the election, and we had the build up to the uh, the Capitol riots where he was making similar uh, claims and saying he won the election. This, I think, I fear, when it comes across to the public, it sounds like a sore loser. I don't think strategically it is a good idea to keep going on about things being rigged. And that in itself, I think, could be one of the major reasons why he wouldn't win next time, because he seems to be re-emphasizing this. Do you not think there's a point to that? Um, Certain points
1: of that I agree with you. Certain points I might push back a little bit. Um, Look, I've told President Trump that I think that he needs to talk much more about the future uh, as opposed to 2020. I do think the election rules were rigged as I outlined on the the state by state how they circumvented the legislatures and had partisan actors go and change the rules to try to goose effectively what the outcomes were going to be. I do think that that system was rigged and it was during the game the same thing you get to. Halftime of a football game, and then they decide that uh, the other team gets uh, uh, gets you know more uh, free kicks than uh, than the other side um, uh, from a pe- you know from a penalty or at the end of the game in a, a tiebreaker situation. One side gets five kicks, the other side gets three, or something of that nature. Uh, you can't go and change rules like that in the middle of the game. You can't change it at halftime. It has to be something that's that's clearly done. their systems and procedures in that. So I do think that it, that it was rigged, um, but I also don't think that President Trump should talk about it as much. Um, as he does, I think that more of the future looking vision, I think highlighting, um, particularly where Joe Biden has caused these crises, whether it be on the Southern border, whether it be on failure to stand up to China, whether it be that's flying over Taiwan on a daily basis or the nine dash line now extending effectively to Honolulu. I and mean, there's really, uh, no, um, uh, there, there are no checks on China, um, but you look at the uh, the fact that Afghanistan withdrawal was a disaster. Many of the reforms uh, that were brought about by the Abraham Accords have been torn up because uh, Hamas no longer is worried that, uh, that the U.S. will come in and smack them or defend Israel, their right to do so. We see the hyperinflation crisis. We see the gas price crisis. All these things. That, this is just Joe Biden's first year. I mean, think uh, what the guy's going to do in his next three years. Biden does not look well. He's bumbling. He's stumbling. He's barely coherent. Kamala Harris is so bad that her poll ratings are even worse than Joe Biden's. That's why I think when President Trump runs in 2024, it won't be against Joe Biden or even Kamala Harris. I think it's probably going to be against someone like Gavin Newsom.
0: That's very interesting. I I think to focus on Biden's failings is I mean, that's my view is that it's the more strategic approach. And it seems that you share that view. Um, But when it comes to Biden, I think I agree as well. I I can't see a, a scenario where Biden would be running again. But do you think that given the the way that the media have been treating Biden with kid gloves? I mean, you know, we saw with Afghanistan, that was the first time, I think, where he was subject to any kind of serious media scrutiny, where he had to answer difficult questions. I hadn't seen any evidence of that happening before. It's as though the media were on the whole giving him a very, very easy ride. And uh, you do seem to have that problem in America with the broadcast media in particular, is that they are so politically skewed one way um, doesn't that make it as with the social media issue with the social media tech giants does that make it almost uh, impossible under those circumstances um, for a republican candidate to to triumph
1: no not at all it definitely makes it more challenging Uh, we've always known that that it's not a completely fair game uh, but it's uh, having the at least having the rules in place uh, to understand we know we're not going to get all the calls uh, from the referees Uh, But there's a difference, again, between the, the structural changes. I think part of this is the need for social media platforms such as Getter. The reason why you have to have these additional uh, means of communication. And even take a look at Brazil, where President Bolsonaro has the media stacked against him. They need to have social media uh, platforms, a way to communicate directly to people. Um, obviously, that's something that Nigel Farage used very effectively in his um, in the Brexit campaign. But something around the world, I do think that social media, even though over the last couple of years it's really been hijacked by the left, uh, I think social media ultimately can be a force for good. I mean, take a look at Getter's logo, for example, our torch that we have literally represents bringing light, bringing democracy to places where it doesn't exist. And that's what we think, whether it's taking down the CCP or bringing free thought, free expression into totalitarian regimes around the world, we want to have people in control of their own speech have people in control of their own expression, of their own destiny, uh, ultimately in in control of their own money uh, for what they're going to be doing here. And so it's very much a a freedom-loving concept. And we want, I think social media can be a a force of good uh, to help do that. I think it's just gotten off track the last few years by some of these greedy Silicon Valley guys who decided to shift into world framing.
0: Do you think given the institutional capture of the what we call the woke movement in all uh, areas of life in terms of um, media, in terms of um, academia, in terms of political and cultural institutions across the board, even the judiciary and the law enforcement uh, institutions, you know, uh, do do you think that given that situation that we currently find ourselves in and given that this movement is so hostile to the principle of free speech, do you think that we are winning the free speech argument at the moment?
1: I think that we're turning it around at the moment. Uh, I would not say that that we're winning, uh, but I think the the bloom is coming off the rose, so to speak, with regard to this woke movement and a lot of the council culture and the um uh, what we've seen over the last couple of years where it's just cancel everybody wipe everybody out they have to be eliminated uh this person must be banished from society i think we're now starting to come out of that uh that fog so to speak uh we're not there yet but i think we're definitely in the process of turning it around and i see getter being at the tip of the spear of that
0: well thank you very much for joining me today jason if you just want to remind everyone where they can sign up for getter or or, or reach you Absolutely. So you
1: can go to Getter.com, you can go to the Apple Store, Getter, G-E-T-T-R, go to the Google Play Store, G-E-T-T-R. Real simple pull up. It is easy to create the account, A couple other really cool things. If you're worried about losing any of your intellectual property from Twitter, for example, you can actually import in all of your tweets in your Getter timeline, which is very cool. So that all comes with you. That's your property if you go and look at your terms of service for the other companies they will tell you that uh, they will make clear they don't actually own what you post because then they'd be a publisher and so that intellectual property come with you we're gonna do the same thing with instagram uh post uh, and being able to import those in when we launch our short video series uh, so g-vision uh coming up here uh, right around february 1 that's going to be cool and so getter again if you support free speech a post cancel culture come and give us a
0: try thanks very much for joining me today really appreciate it Thank you. Thank you for joining me for the Free Speech Nation podcast with my guest, Jason Miller. Please do check out Getter.com and see what he's up to. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, please do like and subscribe and the rest of it. And I'm going to see you in the new year. We're going to take a short break over the next few weeks, but we will be back with some more fabulous guests. See you then.